Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. Today, we are starting to wind down our series. We'll actually wrap up next Sunday, but today we're doing our Q&A Sunday. These are always some of my favorite times because we set aside time every week for you to text in your questions. You see the number on the screen, text it in. I answer those. People say, Matt, are those real questions? Yep, I'm just as surprised as you are when they show up on the screen. And, And there are some series that we do that you send so many questions in. We actually extend the whole series out one week so I can try to get to all the questions I couldn't address uh, on a Sunday morning. So that's what we're going to do today. And if you're worried, you know, "Ah, I didn't get a question in, we still have time for live questions today too. So you can text those in to that number. And the reason that I love uh, the question and answer Sunday is not because the answers are great, because they're mediocre at best, but it's because the questions are phenomenal. And by the way, I know some of us grew up in church backgrounds where you were told, if you want to follow Jesus, check your brain at the door. Like you don't need to question it, just accept it and move on. But I believe that if we're going to pursue Jesus, we ought to have questions. In fact, if we really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then anywhere we find truth, whether it's in a, a movie or a textbook or a conversation with a friend, it's going to push us towards Jesus. In fact, some of Jesus' most famous teaching was in response to questions. So we welcome those here at Bridgepoint. Now, I'd like to give a few caveats before we jump in, especially if you're newer to Bridgepoint. The first one is this. It's really not Q&A. It's Q&R, question and response, but that's not quite as catchy um, because my goal today is not to give an exhaustive answer. In fact, some of the questions you send in are questions that people have been discussing and debating and writing about for hundreds of years. We're not going to come up with a definitive answer in the few minutes I have to answer each question. Really, my goal is just to point you in the right direction, give you a few thoughts to wrestle with, because I really do believe that with God and Google, there's nothing that you can't learn. And so I'm trying to push you in the right direction. The second thing is not all questions are created equal. In fact, we have this thing we talk about all the time at Bridgepoint. It's kind of our circles of theology, and it's really how you can think of all of our theological beliefs. At the core of our faith is Jesus, right? Like, we want to be Jesus-centered people. In fact, as a church, we want to be a Jesus-centered church. There's a lot of things your church can be centered on. It can be centered on outreach efforts. It can be centered on scripture. It can be centered on a lot of things. We want to be a church that is centered solely around Jesus. And there are a few core beliefs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And when people ever ask me, well, what are those core beliefs? I point people to the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. And if you've ever read those, what you will find is there's a lot less core beliefs than some of us were led to believe. Like there's a few things that are essential to following Jesus, but then there's a lot of stuff that's been hotly debated over the course of Christian history. And so we want to be Jesus-centered people. Now, outside of that, we have the, the circle called doctrine. And this is where we take those core beliefs and we start to flesh them out. And so you might say, okay, God is all powerful, but how does that manifest itself? Some people say, well, in his power, he's predestined everything. and and who will have a relationship with him and who won't. Other people will say, well, God certainly is all powerful, but he limits that and allows people to have their free choice. And in these doctrines, there are people who will, uh, there are churches, networks, denominations who've chosen to split over these things. And not because they hate other people, but just because it's easier to be on mission with people who are similar to you. And I will say here at Bridgepoint, we are a non-denominational church, which I know for a lot of people is like code for Baptist, but we don't want to tell people we're Baptist. 
but I promise you, and I can say that because I'm a jerk. No, I can say that I grew up Baptist. don't have anything against Baptists, but that's not who we are. Now, we have doctrine, and we, we believe those things fiercely, but we're not going to separate and divide over disagreements on those things. In fact, we welcome disagreement. As part of a Jesus-centered church, it is a messier way. It is a harder path to follow, but I think it looks a lot more like how God designed the church to be, and so we're not going to separate the, over those things. And then third, there's the area of opinion, and this could be things like, well, what do angels look like, or what is heaven going to be like? And, and these are things that maybe scripture doesn't really talk about a whole lot, and so good and godly people are going to have a whole variety of opinions on those subjects, and that's okay. Which brings me to my third point. At some point today, I'm going to say something that you disagree with, something that you don't like, and you know what? It's okay. It's okay to be at a church where you don't agree with every single thing the pastor says. In fact, I would argue that if you have never disagreed with me on anything, either I'm not doing my job to challenge you, or you're not doing your job to think more critically. Because I wish that my sermon prep was that I just go up on a mountain and I get some golden tablets and come down and read. That would be so much easier than how it is now. But I'm wrestling with the text. I'm researching and studying. But I don't have the corner market on hearing from God. In fact, all of us can do that. And so today there may be some disagreement and it's okay. We're not going to divide over that. We're going to be committed to be a Jesus-centered church and move forward together. Sound good? All right. So let's go ahead and start. Question number one, how many times should we pray the same prayer before it's answered? It's a fantastic question because I really think this hits at the heart of some of the issues we have with prayer. I think a lot of us in this room know what it's like to pray for something for weeks, months, years, even decades, and you feel like nothing's happening and nothing's moving, and so you're like, maybe I should just stop this whole thing. So, so how many times? It's honestly, it's reminiscent to the time where Jesus' disciples said, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? Like, how many times should we forgive? Are we just supposed to be doormats? Like, should we forgive seven times? That seems like a lot, right? And Jesus says, not seven times, 70 times seven. And remember in Jesus' response that, you know, 70 times 7, for those who aren't, you're doing your math in your head, it's 490 times. Jesus wasn't saying on the 491st time, don't forgive them. He was just saying, hey, just continue to be people of forgiveness. Now, we're blessed because Jesus has a direct response to this question. Now, this one did make my work a little easy this week. So let's just look at Luke chapter 18 when Jesus responds to this very question. It says, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray when? always, and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so Jesus tells this beautiful story to illustrate that we should pray always and never give up. 
He talks about how there's this judge who doesn't respect God or people, and this widow keeps pestering him until finally he gives in and grants her request. And the point Jesus is making is not that God is somebody who doesn't respect people or gets annoyed at you when you ask for things, but if even somebody like that will give the request to somebody who's persistent, then how much more would a good father, a good God, grant us our request when we are persistent in prayer? In fact, there's a number of places in the Bible where God is like begging people to pray to him. There's never an instance where God says, stop praying or you're praying too much. Stop being so persistent. You're annoying me with your request. That that doesn't happen. And in fact, I think sometimes we may even be worried that what if I'm so persistent, God just gives in and just gives me something that he doesn't actually want me to have. That's not going to happen. He's a good friend. He's never going to give you something he don't want you to have just because you're persistent, but he invites you to continue to pray over and over and over again. Be persistent in our prayer. Don't give up because oftentimes there's more going on behind the scenes than we realize. And so we're supposed to stay committed and persistence in prayer and then allow God to do what he will with those prayers. Great, great question. Let's move along to the next one. Why does God sometimes not answer my prayers? This is an amazing question. This is a hard question. Next question. Uh, No, I'm just... (laughs) This is a question that we get all the time. Why? How come sometimes it seems like God doesn't answer my prayers? And there's a number of different answers we could give to this. I'm going to give you the short one first. We don't know. You don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers. And by the way, the people who will tell you they know why God hasn't answered your prayers, stay away from those people because they don't really know either. Because the reality is there is more going on behind the scenes than we could ever possibly realize. In fact, there's a story in Daniel chapter 10 that's like kind of strange, but Daniel, he's living in exile and he's got this message from God and he's trying to figure out what it is. And so he starts praying and fasting. He does so for over three weeks. I mean, he's literally, he's physically weakened by the time an angel shows up with a message. So he's been praying for three weeks. The angel shows up. That's where I want to pick up in Daniel chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, don't be afraid, Daniel, he said to me, for from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard, and I have come because of your prayers. So I want to stop here for just a moment. How long has Daniel been praying? Over three weeks. And he says, from the moment that your prayers went up, they were heard, and I was sent immediately. But wait a second. God began to work immediately in response, but there's this three-week delay. Why is that? In verse 13, he says, but the, but where am I? All right, here we go. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those days. So this is a strange story where the angel says, hey, your prayers were heard immediately. I was dispatched, but I got caught up with the prince of Persia, which is not like a video game thing. Like there's actually the Bible understands that there are these spiritual beings that actually influence and empower the nations. And I know immediately for some of you, you're starting to text in your next question about that. And that's totally fine. Okay. So I'm not asking you to necessarily buy that, but just understand what the Bible's teaching here. 
And so this angel's trying to respond to Daniel, gets held up by some spiritual being, and is kind of going back and forth for almost three weeks before reinforcements show up, and that angel is finally freed to be the answer to Daniel's prayer. Now, I don't know about you. I've never had an instance in my life where an angel showed up to me and then explained why it took so long for my prayer to be answered. I'm not saying it can't happen. It just hasn't happened yet. In fact, more often than not, the prayer is delayed, but I don't get the benefit of what Daniel got. Daniel got an explanation of why it was delayed. I don't always get that. And so imagine if Daniel hadn't got that explanation, he would have been fasting and praying for for three weeks, and maybe he thinks there's got to be something special about 21 days, right? Like, maybe I just had to get to this point, and, and God was trying to break me down, and then when he finally got me where he wanted, then he answered my prayer. And you can play a million guessing games on why it took that long, but the reality was God began moving immediately, but there was opposition to what God was doing, and that's what delayed the response, See, see, Daniel got to know, but we don't always get to know. There's so many things going on in the world. Listen, I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock, but I do think it's more spiritual than we give it credit for being sometimes. Understand what I'm saying? If you drive home today and you run out of gas, that wasn't a demon, okay? That was because you should have filled up your gas tank last night and you were waiting on your husband to do it this morning, all right? I already know that I'm not speaking from personal experience, But I'm just saying, sometimes things happen for a reason, and the reason is we made bad decisions. But the reality is I do think there's so much more going on spiritually in this world, and we have to understand there's more going on than just I prayed and now God answers my prayer request. He's not a cosmic vending machine. In fact, the Bible gives a whole list of reasons to how God actually works and responds to prayer. So I'm going to list out these reasons here. And again, do not take a picture of this and then over lunch today try to figure out which one is the reason why. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, but just see, these are all the reasons the Bible says God may or may not answer prayer. The first one is this, God's will. Like sometimes the thing we're praying for is not God's will for us. I mean, the easy example is to be like, God, would you put a million dollars in my bank account? But, but I actually think oftentimes it looks like this. God, would you give me that promotion? Because I've worked really hard. I'd be a perfect fit for it. I have all the skills necessary. And you want it, but you get passed over. And you feel like God didn't answer your prayer request. But the reality is God knew that that would actually be bad for you to get that. He knew it would be bad for your ego. He knew that you would become materialistic, that you would spend time away from your family. All these things that you don't understand and see, God isn't withholding it because he's punishing you. It's because that's not his will, because that's not what's going to help you become more like Jesus. That's one reason God may not answer your prayer request. The other one is might be the, the faith of the recipient of the prayer. Like the person receiving the prayer needs to have some level of faith. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was going through a certain region. All right, remember, Jesus, he's healed people, he's cast out demons, raised people from the dead, and it said that Jesus was unable to do many miracles because of the lack of faith of the people in that region. Like the lack of faith that the people were praying for can sometimes be a hindrance to how God answers those prayers. But it could also be in response to the, the, per, the faith of the person praying. In fact, there's a story, you guys remember Children's Church growing up, when the four friends, they dug a hole in the roof and lowered their paralytic friend down. And there's this line there that says, Jesus saw the faith of the man's friends. Like he saw their faith, and in response to their faith, but not the other man, they, he responded to that. We've already talked about persistence of prayer, right? Like we got to keep being persistent and keep asking God. 
could also be like the number of people praying. Like almost in every single one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, he's begging the church, pray, 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 come together. Because something happens when we gather together as a church and we pray corporately, like that actually begins to change things in the world. Now, one reason that our prayers sometimes don't always get answers is because of human free will. I mean, Scripture actually says that God desires that no one would perish, that everyone would have a relationship with God. So let me ask you a question. Do people perish in this world? That wasn't a hypothetical. I mean, yeah, they put that on a T for you, yeah. Does everyone come to a relationship with God? No. So, so that's what God wants, but he's also allowed us to have our own free will. In fact, there's this verse in Luke where Jesus tells the Pharisees, you have rejected God's purpose for you. Like we can actually come against what God has called us to do. In fact, I think so many times we spend time blaming God for things that he said, no, no, I've, I've put that on your heart. You have the free will to do that. But there's also the free will of these spiritual beings that we talked about, right? Like there are forces at work in the world that come against what God would, have to, what God would want to do. We could also look at there's times where it talks about the number and strength of these spiritual beings. And by the way, I think that's why when we come together as a church and we begin to pray, we come together in power against those and then the last one we talk about this morning is just the presence of sin in our lives. And I know that makes us uncomfortable to admit, but there's times in Scripture where God says, I want to put you in this spot, but your sin is preventing me from doing so. In fact, sometimes I'll imagine my relationship with God as like this pipeline between me and God and this pipeline between me and others. And what sin does is sin clogs that pipeline. And sometimes we're asking God to answer our prayers, but we've put all this blockage in between us and God. And like we've enslaved ourselves to the powers of sin and death. And that's why God set us free. So we could have the relationship with him and others that he's always wanted for us. And so again, I'm not saying like, hey, pick and choose which one you think is the reason why God hadn't answered your prayer. My whole point is there's a number of reasons why God may or may not have answered your prayer. And it's almost impossible for us to, to determine, determine which one in each and every situation. But while we don't know that, there's a few things that we do know. First one is this, God... He's not going to lie. That's not who he is. God always speaks the truth. That's why I think it is important for us to understand the truth that's in God's word. We have to know the truth. Because so many of us, are, our, our vision for the world is shaped by the way the world is, which is a lie. And so we have to know what God actually says. We also know that God cannot change his character. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. By the way, how do we know, this audience participation, how do we know what God's character is. All right. Somebody said it. Somebody said it. It's the J word. It's always the right answer in church. It's Jesus. Right, Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the exact representation of God. By the way, this is why I tell people, if you want to know what God is like, don't start in the book of Joshua. Start in the Gospels. Now, I'm not saying you can't learn about God's character in the book of Joshua, but if Jesus is the exact representation of God, that's who we need to understand. That's who we need to model our lives after. But do you guys remember the, the bracelets, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? It's kind of, you know, as the kids would say, it's cringe. But there's so much truth to that. You can tell I'm a dad, right? That's when dad tries to be cool. But there's so much truth. What would Jesus do if he were me, right? And I'm not talking about, you know, you guys pick on me for my sandals. I always say I'm trying to be like Jesus. Jesus might have wore closed-toed shoes if he were here today. I don't know. But, but what would Jesus do if he were you, if he were a stay-at-home mom? What would Jesus do if he were in sales? 
what would Jesus do if he were a teacher? Like, there's a number of things we can ask ourselves, how would Jesus respond? This is why I think great thought experiment is something like, okay, if, if Jesus felt like his life was threatened, would he use violence to defend himself? I mean, these are great thought experiments, because if Jesus wouldn't do that, then we shouldn't want to do that either. That's a part of our growth. So these are all things. We have to become more like Jesus, because he's not, he doesn't change his character. God also doesn't break his covenant. And covenant isn't contract. That's relationship. He's not going to break his relationship with you just because you did something that he didn't approve of. He's going to be faithful to his covenant. And the last thing is God will never stop loving you. Like some of you are here just because you need to hear this today. There's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you any less. There's nothing, nothing you could ever do would make God love you any less. And here's what I know to be true. I may not know why God has apparently not answered my prayer, or at least I haven't received the answer yet. But if I know these things, then I can trust God that even in the darkest moments, he's working on behalf of my good and for his glory. Like I I remember growing up, my grandfather would say, um, when you hit your finger with a hammer, Right? Like I know everybody's got a nail gun now, but like back in the day, you had to hold the nail up and hit it with a hammer. When you hit your finger with a hammer, then what's in your heart comes out your mouth. Jesus says the same thing. He says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And listen, we may not be hitting our finger with hammers, but what happens when you lose your job? Or what happens when the diagnosis comes? What happens when a loved one passes away? It's in those moments, what's in our heart comes out our mouth. And are we so focused on all the reasons why God hasn't answered my prayer request? Or have we shaped and formed our lives in the mountaintops so that when we go through the valleys, we know who to trust? We know that even when the prayer didn't get answered in the way that I thought, that God was still working for good. One story that impacted me so much is reading the story of a woman in the early church named Perpetua. And she lived in the Roman Empire when persecution against Christians broke out. And she was arrested and put in jail. And she had just given birth to her baby. And none of the rest of her family was Christians. And so she's in jail because she said, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And so her dad comes and brings her newborn baby and says, listen, please just tell him you don't follow Jesus. And you got to raise this child. This child can't grow up without a mom. Like, just, you can believe in Jesus. Just tell him you don't. Perpetua said, I'm not going to deny Jesus. And so they they take her into the Colosseum. And long story short, the the animals were unable to, like, fully kill them. So these group of people was maimed. So they actually, like, took the animals out, and they brought in an executioner to kill them. And the executioner is so nervous, and his hand is shaking that when he comes up to Perpetua, he tries to stab her, and he misses vital organs. So it's like a really deep wound, and it's painful, but it's not going to kill her. And so he has to pull his sword out and try again. And in that moment, Perpetua reaches up and studies his hands and helps him plunge the sword into her, and she dies. And it's because she knew that, listen... I've prayed and I've asked God for deliverance, but if this is the position he's put me in, I'm trusting that there's still resurrection coming. I'm trusting that there's a day when everything that's broken will be made whole. Everything that's been wrong will be made right. And her faith in Jesus was so strong that she went confident to her death because she knew one day he would fix it. 
And I think sometimes when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we expect, our faith has been built on sand. And so we think, well, God didn't love me and God didn't care for me. But if we spend time on the mountaintops focusing on who God really is, then in those seasons where our prayers haven't answered, we can hold fast to our faith and know that God is still working. Fantastic, fantastic question. Let's go to the next one. If God already knows what will happen in the future, why do we pray and ask for things? Example, if God already knows someone will lose their battle to cancer, why do we pray and ask for healing when God already knows the outcome? And this question, by the way, is one of the most common questions that we get. If God already knows, then why pray to begin with? Because God already knows. So there's no point in even asking for anything. And I totally get the impulse if we have a view of the way history works is what I call the blueprint version. They're like before time began, God came up with the blueprint for the world and he kind of set that in motion and every once in a while he'll intervene, but for the most part, it just goes according to God's plan. Now, logically, there's a whole lot of things we could look at and say, that makes sense. But biblically speaking, that's not how the Bible talks about God's plan whatsoever. Talk about people thwarting God's plan, all this stuff. And, and we know ultimately his purposes will come to pass, but there's so much interplay in the in-between. In fact, we actually see throughout scripture, there are times when people pray and it says God changes his mind. Now, he doesn't change his character, but the reason I think we pray, even if God already knows what's going to happen, is because I actually think prayer, I'm crazy enough to believe that prayer actually changes things. Like in Exodus, when God tells Moses, you know what, these Israelites, I am so sick and tired of them, and all they do is complain. They never do it. They're never faithful to me. I'm just done with them. I'm going to kill them all. And Moses says, please don't. And God says, all right, because you asked, I won't do it. And he changed his mind. But there's another story in 2 Kings chapter 20 that I think is maybe perhaps the most um, plain example I can give of this. 2 Kings chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, in those days, Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you are about to die. You will not recover. I want to stop there for a moment. Hezekiah is the king. He's terminally ill. There's nothing the doctors can do. It cannot be fixed. God sends the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah says, God tells you, get your house in order, because you're going to die. Period. End of sentence. Not if you humble yourself before the Lord. Not if you start reading scripture. So no, get your house in order. This is God's grace. You have time to get everything in order because you're about to die. And what's Hezekiah's response? It says, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, remember how I've walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And so Hezekiah does what we do in these times of crisis. He turns to God in prayer. Then I love the next verse. It says, Isaiah had not yet gone out of the inner courtyard when the word of the Lord came to him. So he hadn't even left the place yet. And God says, go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Look, I will heal you. So God sent a message. You're going to die. Hezekiah prays. And God says, all right. I'll heal you. See, there are times in our lives where we feel like we hit a wall. We feel like we hit a dead end. But when we pray, it moves God in such a way that God will respond to those prayers. 
In fact, there's a story in Ezekiel chapter 22 where God is telling his people judgment's coming. And he says, I'm begging, like, please, somebody pray. Stand in the gap and pray. Ask me for help so I can respond. And you go, why doesn't God just respond? And I wonder sometimes, like it is with my kids, I know I use a lot of illustrations from parenting. It's just the season of life I'm in. But I'll see my kids, and they're struggling with something. could be homework. Could be, you know, tying their shoe. Could be anything. And I know they've worked themselves up so much that I'm not just going to enter myself into that situation because I can just force myself in there and fix it. But they're not going to receive it. They're going to get mad. They're going to push back against me. So what I have to do, I just tell them, hey, when you're ready for help, you know who to come ask. And I'll just sit there with them and I'll wait until they get to that point where they say, dad, can you help me? And they're not even happy about asking. They're like, dad, fine. Will you help me? And then you say, I wonder for some of us, if God said, listen, you've worked yourself up so much, just ask me, ask me for help, and then I'll, I'll step in. Just do that. And so I know some of us have this blueprint version of the world. And again, sometimes we pray and God moves, and sometimes we pray and he doesn't move in the way we expect. So I'll refer you back to the last question for that. But the reason we pray, even if God knows everything is going to happen, is because I believe that prayer actually changes things. Great, great question. Next question, throw it open, text. All right, here we go. Is there such a thing as an unrealistic prayer? Uh, I mean, I would say, yeah, if I, I, I could pray and say, God, would you uh, put a Lamborghini in my driveway tomorrow? I would say that would be an unrealistic prayer. But at the same time, I think we have to understand, and this is where, you know, if I, if I was sitting down, sometimes people will email me questions like, can we just sit down for coffee? Because I just, I would love to like ask follow-up questions. Like, why did you ask that question? What's going on? I think sometimes some people, it might be unrealistic to pray for a terminal illness. And yet we see God can move in response to that. It could be unrealistic to fix a marriage that's been falling apart for years, and yet I believe God can do that. I believe God can do the impossible. But I think the difference between an unrealistic and a realistic prayer, unrealistic is probably going to be rooted in a lot of selfishness and a lot of um, self-centeredness, and God, do the things that I want you to do for me. And those are unrealistic. And by the way, I'll just go back to when we pray for things selfishly, I think a lot of times it can be the reason God might not be responding is because he actually knows those things are bad for us. And those things won't actually help us become more like him. But if we have these prayers that are sincere and they're just humble and we're just seeking God passionately, then I think there is nothing that's impossible for our God. And so from that sense, there's nothing you should just dismiss as, well, that's unrealistic. But at the same time, what is the heart behind your prayer? What are you asking for? How are you seeking it? And I think those questions are actually way more important than just, should I be praying for this or not? Because I'll tell you, I think we should pray for everything. I, I know I, I've, I told you guys this before, just in trying to just ask God every 15 minutes, what do you want me to say or do in this situation? I realize how much of my life I spend without depending on God. And I think, man, what if before you respond to that email, you took some time to pray? What if before you walked into that meeting, what if before just something very routine, like just a normal thing you do, say, God, I'm going to take a few minutes just to pray and connect with you. I think what we would find is there's a lot less prayers that seem impossible and unrealistic because we've seen God moving all along the way and we can trust him with the big things and with the small. Fantastic question. All right, we got time for one more. Are there best practices 
for my own prayer life. And I love that. Let's just end on something really practical. Like what can we do? Practically speaking, just give me a few thoughts of how I can apply this moving forward. Because here's the reality. Like some of these questions, these are great questions and they're fantastic. And I love to sit and nerd out about theology and theory and all this other stuff. And that's great. There's a time and place for that. But my hope and prayer is not that you walk out of here today with more knowledge about prayer. My, my hope is that you walk out of here like committed to prayer. And how am I actually going to implement this in my life? And, and I love this question, too, because just like we began with Jesus answering the question, I think we can end with Jesus answering this question. Matthew chapter 6, and the verses leading right up to where he gives them the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. And so Jesus is talking here about our attitude, our mindset towards prayer. I think there's four quick things. I'm giving four best practices. The first thing is this, our prayer should be regular. Notice Jesus says, when you pray, not if. Not if the mood hits. Not if I wake up when my alarm goes off and I actually have the time. Not if I think about it, but when you pray. Prayer ought to be a regular part of our life. I know it's a struggle for people because you're trying to implement something new. This is why um, we talk about habit stacking. My wife talks to me about this. She read the book Atomic Habits, and she told me about it. So I didn't read it, but I feel like I did because she told me a lot about it. And in habit stacking, you take, you take something you do every day, and you just add a habit onto that. So for example, like you get your coffee every morning, right? And if you don't, then I don't understand how you function in this world, right? I got to have my coffee. And so as soon as you pour your coffee, say the Lord's Prayer. Pray through something. You're already going to do it anyway. Hey, you get in your car to drive to work every day, turn the radio off, turn the podcast off, pray. Like take something you do every single day. You eat dinner, you eat at some point, Pray. Just stack it on top of something you're already doing and make it a regular part of your routine. The second thing is when you pray, it ought to be with a humble heart. You got to pray humble prayers. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who get up in front of people and pray so that they're, they're heard by a lot of people. And, and he says, if that's what you do, that, that, that's, that's your reward then. If you're praying for people's approval and you get it, that's your reward. I don't know about you. I don't want to pray for people's approval. I'm trying to pray for God's approval. I'm trying to pray to seek after him. And we all know people like this, right? We'll have that one family member. They get up at dinner and you're just, you've just been talking about football and all of a sudden they say, Oh Lord, thou art our heavenly father. Thine is the kingdom and the glory. Amen. And then they usually go into some like gospel presentation in their prayer. I'm like, are you praying to them or to me? I don't know what you're doing right now. I know pastors, by the way, they're really bad about this because they pray at the end of the sermon. And I'll just tell you sometimes you're like, I forgot to say this. I'll just put it in my prayer. And then they'll hear it that way. But if I'm praying so that you hear something, then you hear, I don't need you to hear my prayer. I want God to hear my prayer. They gotta be humble. Just this attitude of God, I'm trusting you with this. The third thing, there's gotta be a set place. He says, go into your room. And by the way, the place changes in every season of your life. Now, there was a time my place was a chair in our living room and I'll just let you in on my life. Right now, my place is my bed right after I get my coffee every morning. Because I'll just sit in my bed and I'll open up my Bible and I'll just pray a psalm. 
And again, I'm just praying through the Psalms. And even I'll pray a Psalm of grief, even when there's not a season of grief. So that way, if I do go through that valley, I already know how to pray because I've trained and prepped myself for it. That place could be your car. It could be a room. It could be a chair. Have a set place. And the last thing is when you pray, just pray simple prayers. See, in Jesus' day, there was this thought that among the, the pagans that if I just impress God with all my words and everything else, then I'll answer my prayer requests. And Jesus says, God already knows what you need. Like praying isn't about informing God of stuff that he doesn't already know. It's about having the humility to ask him, but we can keep simple prayers. By the way, this is brilliant. That's why Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a simple prayer. It doesn't take long to pray. And by the way, it's a, kids can memorize it, right? It's a simple prayer to remember. It's not long. Just, I'm going to say this simple prayer. Your prayers don't have to be complex, ornate, anything like that. Just simple. And I would encourage you to, just aside from this, be consistent. Like, don't give up. That's why I tell people, don't, don't start saying, I'm going to pray 30 minutes every day. Because what will happen, you'll pray 30 minutes on Monday, and you won't pray again the rest of the week. You're like, I don't have anything else to pray about. If you pray five minutes a day, that's 35 minutes over the whole week. And number one, that's more time than you would have prayed just one time for 30 minutes. And number two, you're building that habit and that dependence on God every single day. So just encourage us. See, that's really my heart behind this whole series is I know that if we're going to have to become like Jesus, we need to be people of prayer. I think there is no spiritual practice more transformative in a Christian's life than prayer. And I think that's also why it's so important. We spent one week, this entire series, talking about praying and asking God to do something for us. The whole rest of the series is how do we pray in a way that he does something inside of us? How do we pray in a way that changes us? Because if we become people of prayer, does that mean everything in life turns out great? No. But it means we have greater dependence on God, greater trust in him. It actually shapes us to become more like him. So what we're going to do... We're going to continue this morning like we do every week in a time of communion. We have our communion stations throughout the room. When we have our prayer stations up front, prayer stations have a piece of paper. If you just want to write a prayer to God and put it in the prayer jar, that's just between you and God. If you want to light a, light a candle, that's always represented sending a prayer up to God throughout church history. You can do that. But whatever it is, I think that the worst thing we could do is to say, man, I walked out and I know a lot about prayer. I don't want you just to know a lot about prayer. I want you to experience the power of prayer in your own life. And so I'm going to pray and then just take a couple of minutes wherever you are. Maybe you just need to pray Psalm 1, pray the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you need to grab somebody else and have them pray for you. I'll be down front. If you need somebody to pray for you, I'll pray for you. I'll just be right down here. But whatever it is in this moment, what you didn't need this morning was me. You needed time with Jesus. So let's make it the most that we can make it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we just come before you right now and we're thankful. We're thankful that you invite us to ask. That we can come to you with anything that's on our heart. And we don't always understand why you do or don't answer. But I'm praying that you would grow our trust and our faith in you. That you would shape us through our practice of prayer. And that in this moment, as we sit with you, you would meet us here and help us become more like you. It's in your name I pray. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock, but we also meet during the week in what we call life groups, and that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, 
we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.